0: 2022, this is the Hermetic Hour, and I'm your host, Pope Runyon, and tonight we will discuss and review the current trend in fantasy novels involving themes and characters from the Arabian Nights, mainly the jinn, which King Solomon imprisoned in his sealed jars. Now, a few weeks ago... I'd been putting together a show dealing with the City of Brass from Burton's version of the Arabian Nights, citing it as an inspiration for many classic fantasy adventure stories. But then I discovered that an American lady author, Shannon Chakraborty, had in fact published a magical novel called The City of Brass in 2017. So I decided to postpone the show on the City of Brass until I'd read her book, and then I discovered another British author, and, uh, another British author, Jonathan Stroud, who had a series of gin fantasies called the, Bartima- the Bartimaeus Trilogy, launched in 2003, which she needed which, which I needed to catch up on, too. And while we're at it, we might as well throw in the old Victorian classic, Blybethic, By William Beckford, which was published in 1893, and so if you would like to take a ride on a magic carpet, tune in and we'll be off. Well, when I first got into this topic years ago, we sourced three stories from the Arabian Nights as good magical source works. Abu Hassan's Slave Girl, in which the slave girl describes the whole Hermetic Zodiac and in astrological terms and and uh, alchemical terms and everything, she just gives uh, astounds all of these imams and and wazirs, you know, with her with her knowledge, and gives a very very good, literally, a, the, the celestial sphere of the zodiac. That's Abu Hassan's slave girl, and then there's the Queen of the Spirits, which features King Solomon's tomb. And his and his ring, and then there's the city of brass, and the city of brass is impossible to to enter because the the gates are all locked from the inside, and the walls are very high, and uh, so they the, the uh, mirror that goes on the and the quest to find the city of brass, he sends his his minions up to the top of the wall and they look over the wall and they see into the city and they they see something beautiful and wonderful and then they just jump off the inside of the wall and they scream and they and they hit the ground on the other side and they're obviously dead and so they keep they keep volunteering to go up you know and they say, "Oh, that guy was too young, and he he was too irresponsible." And I, I'm a, I'm an old soupy, and I can I can get up there, and I can just see the illusion, and I and I'll find out what it is. Finally, this old guy does get up there at the top of the wall in the city of Brass, and he looks over. He sees what the real real situation is. He looks over, and it looks like it looks like there's a pool right just a few feet in front of him. There there's a pool full of beautiful girls. Who are beckoning to him. And he realizes that that's what has attracted these younger men. And they jumped, and of course, that was an illusion, and they hit the ground and they died. So he manages to get down and open the gates. And then they go into the City of Brass. And they find everyone is dead and mummified. And the queen of the City of Brass, this beautiful, a beautiful, uh, mummified queen, has all this jewelry on. And one of the wazirers, he he wants to take the the jewelry. He said, well, she's she's, she's dead, so we might as well take it. But they're mummified right beside her, her two Nubian guards with scimitars and with a scimitar and a mace. And so as soon as he reaches out to put his hand on the jewelry, his head gets lopped off. And so the leader of the expedition, the Emir, he decides that maybe we better just maybe we better just leave the queen her her jewelry <laughs> and so they do anyway that's the, the story of the city of brass and there's also outside the guardian of the city of brass is a jinn who is has been turned into a pillar, and he has wings and he has a horned head, and he's and he's imprisoned in this pillar, and he tells his story, so the city of brass is one of the most magical stories in the Arabian Nights. You can look for the Arabian Nights podcasts in our, in the, in our archives if you want to learn more about King Solomon and the Jinn. Also, check out the Queen of Sheba and the Temple Legend, and that's uh, Gerard de Nerval's uh, Journey to the Orient, and the biblical legends of King Solomon and the Queen of Sheba, who was said to have been a daughter of the Jinn. And Solomon's using the jinn to build his temple is the foundation myth of Western ceremonial magic. And indirectly sits the foundation myth of masonry. And we all know that the Arabs got this hermetic lore from Alexandria and Haran, which were both centers of pagan hermetic astrology, alchemy, and magic. So I decided to take another look at the city of Brass and discovered that this American lady author, Shannon uh, Chakraborty, had published a novel of that title, and I decided to read it before revisiting Richard Burton's version, which I just did. I then discovered that a British author, Jonathan Stroud, had launched a series back in 2003, a Solomonic Magic spinoff from the Strange and Norell and Harry Potter Magical England novels. Now, you know, both uh, Mr. Strange and, and Dr. Norell, that novel, and the Harry Potter stories all deal with magical England. They feature in England and a London where magic still obtains and where people still practice magic. And that, of course, is what Shannon Chakraborty and Jonathan Stroud have both done. Both authors have their jin characters inhabiting other dimensions. In Shannon's universe, the six tribes of the jin inhabit a parallel world that overlays the medieval Muslim world. The city of Brass has been moved from Morocco to Afghanistan and is ruled by a court of jin nobles that can only be described as Byzantine. The protagonist is a half-jin girl healer and gypsy-style con artist Nari in Cairo, who mistakenly summons a Jinn warrior prince and is carried away into a master of intrigue in the city of Brass, which is in another dimension that overlays Afghanistan. In Jonathan Stroud's The Amulet of Samarkand, young Nathaniel, a sorcerer's apprentice in magical London, summons the 5,000-year-old demon Bartimeneus, Steal the amulet for him from a magician who has insulted him. In magical England, magicians run the government, so Stroud's London is just as corrupt and filled with intrigue as Chakravarti's city of brass. The Arabian Nights has long been a source for Western fantasy writers. We recall L. Ron Hubbard's The Slaves of Sleep, in which the parallel world of the jinn was accessed in dreams. But all that the all time classic was Vytek by the British author William Beckford. Vytek is a caliph who summons a jinn who lures him into committing a horrible mass human sacrifice. Beckford was a wealthy eccentric who earned the same warning as Lord Byron he is mad, bad, and dangerous to know. And with that in mind, I'm going to read the editor's tape on William Beckford from the Dover edition. Dover published The Castle of Otranto, Vythak, and the Vampire by John Polidori, three Gothic novels, and it's very, very very well worth reading or having in your collection. So let me read about Vythak. William Beckford and Vythak. In October 1817, Samuel Rogers, poet happened to be not too far from Salisbury when he received an invitation to visit Fonthill Abbey, the home of the eccentric millionaire and author William Beckford. Hill Abbey was surely the most remarkable building in England at the time, and a contemporary letter from Lady Bessborough describes Roger's impressions. He was received... At the thirty eight foot high doors, which were opened by a dwarf, who, like a crowd of servants through whom he passed, was covered with gold and embroidery. Mr. Begford received him very cordially and courteously, and led him through numerous apartments, all fitted up most splendidly, one with minerals including precious stones, another with the finest pictures, another Italian bronzes, China, etc., till they came to a gallery that surpassed all the rest from the richness and variety of its ornaments. It seemed stamping and saying open. The statue flew back, and the gallery was seen, extending 350 feet long at the end an open arch with a massive balustrade opened to a vast octagon hall from which a window showed a fine view of the park. On approaching this, it proved to be Prince of the famous tower, higher than Salisbury Cathedral, over 285 feet. And this is not finished, but a great part is done. The floors of which... There are many. They're violet, velvet covered over with purple and gold embroidery. They passed from hence uh, to a chapel where on the altar were heaped golden candlesticks, vases and chalices studded over with jewels, and from there into a great music room where Mr. Beckford begged Mr. Rogers to rest till refreshments were ready. And he began playing with such unearthly power. And they went on called a refectory, a large room built on the model of Henry the Chapel. Only the ornaments kilt, where a verdanesc table was loaded with kilt plate, filled with every luxury invention could collect. Let me interject in here that Beckford was one of these British eccentrics like Crowley and and, and uh, although much much earlier than Crowley. Beckford flourished back almost in Napoleonic times. But Beckford was you know very much very much like uh, the Hellfire Club. They they spent their money on these these these, these exotic uh, on these exotic uh, mansions and collections of artwork. And uh, they next went into the park with a numerous cortege and horses and servants, etc. While he described as equally wonderful, from the beauty of the trees and the shrubs, the manner of arranging them, and then came the beautiful, romantic lake, transparent as liquid uh, chrysolite. Vibeck was very much like the like the Mad King Leopold of Bavaria. He, he, he the, the the guy that originally developed that originally built the uh, the Walt Disney Castle <laughs> The creator and ruler of this almost unbelievable Gothic empire of some 6,000 landscaped acres, a huge cathedral-like building, and the highest tower in England, to say nothing of the 15-mile-long outer wall, 12 feet high, and topped with spikes, was, of course, William Beckford, born in 1716 died in 1844, the author of Ithac. Beckford was the only legitimate son of William Beckford, the elder, an important political and mercantile figure of the day. Here, to cut this short, I'll summarize. Beckford, he established his identity by scandal in the same manner as Lord Byron and in the same manner as Crowley and the rest of them. The one thing that he that he really wanted to do was write this Arabian Nights fantasy, I think. He did a beautiful job. It's fun to read it. It's a very good story, and uh, I highly recommend it. And it's probably, I, I would imagine that both uh, Shannon Ch- uh, Chakraborty and, and also uh, Jonathan Stroud, they probably both read Bithick. I'm sure they did. The Arabian Nights is filled with stories that involve the Jinn. Now, Let's explain a little bit about the jinn. The jinn are spirits, and actually, Shannon Chakraborty pictures them as hermetic elementals. And Stroud pretty much backs that up. They are hermetic elementals, primarily salamanders. They're creatures of fire. And, there are the marides, and they're the marids, and they're like the undies. They're water-based. And the perries are like the silks. Of course, there are stories in the Arabian Nights about giant rocks and all, and so you have you have the spirits of the elements, and the tribes of the jinn are like spirits of the elements. The way Shannon does it, she has this parallel world, and this parallel world of hers of the Jinn, it just overlays the the Islamic world of the Middle Ages, all the way from Spain and Morocco, all the way to Afghanistan, and and in the other in, in in this other dimension where the jinn live. And they, like the fallen angels of Enoch, occasionally interbreed with human beings. And as you recall, the Queen of Sheba, we've done you know shows on the Hermetic hour about the Queen of Sheba. And the Queen of Sheba was uh, Balthus was said to have been the daughter of a of a jinn king. And of uh, where she turned into the, the Solomonic magic version of of the Masonic legend, she eloped with Adoniram, who the Masons call Biff, and he, of course, was part Jinn himself. So this whole genre is fascinating, and I really enjoyed Shannon Chakraborty's book. Her lady character, she kind of acts like a gypsy fortune teller, healer, and a bit of a con artist. She's in Cairo, around the Napoleonic times when the when the French took over Egypt back in, in about 1810. And that's when this takes place. So it brings it up, you know, fairly close to modern times. But her, her favorite marks are, are Turkish nobles. And as soon as the French take over Cairo, then she's no longer on the Turkish most wanted list. They were out to get her, but the French kind of, they've taken over. And, and so she... She's swindling, still swindling the Ottoman, you know, fortune-telling and all. And the way she gets involved with the djinn is the fact that she is part djinn. And she just showed up in Cairo, in in uh, human Cairo, you know, when she was five years old. Here's this little five-year-old girl, and she's speaking a, a language that nobody can understand, and so she gets kicked out of every orphanage that they put her in, and finally she just grows up on the street, and she becomes a healer and a fortune teller, and, and then she mistakenly summons because she she doesn't believe in the, in the gin at all, but but she does use all these all these magic spells, you know, just like any any good gypsy fortune teller would, and she makes my mistake in a, in a ceremony, she mistakenly summons. A Jin warrior, a warrior prince of the Jin, and he is a former former warrior of, of the city of Brass. And he kind of kidnaps her on the one hand, and kind of saves her from from being killed on the other, and takes her into this other dimension, and takes her to the city of Brass, where she gets involved, and in the you know they find out that she really is. Related to the, the royal family in the city, and so she becomes involved in all this politics. The politics that Shannon creates for for the city of Brass, For the gin in the city of Brass, is just as corrupted and Byzantine as as anything that. Well, like it's like Dune, you know, Frank Herbert with the uh, with the Dune stories. He he based those on on Persian politics and the city of Brass. is is very, very well worth reading, so it's a fun, it really is a fun read. And, of course, also, the Jonathan Stroud stories, the Bartimeneus. By the way, Bartimeneus, we were trying to find out the origin of the name Bartimeneus, and you analyze it, it's the son of Timaeus, Bar-Timaeus. Bar-Timaeus is the son of Timaeus, and, of course, Timaeus is Plato's Pythagorean magic textbook, Is called the Timaeus. But he's also a biblical name in the New Testament. Bartimaeus was a blind man that Jesus rubbed mud in his eyes and gave him sight. And his name was Bartimaeus. So Bartimaeus has quite a, you know, he's also, according to Strauss, he's a 5,000-year-old demon. Uh, but then again, on the other hand, why not? Uh, so anyway, I hope this has been kind of an introduction to the to the new Solomonic gin fantasies, and, and I encourage you to look them up. And also, don't forget Vythak. Vythak, Vythak is a very, very good read, and, and William Beckford was a character that, you know, if you like Crowley and Byron and, and all that lot, you, you'd probably want to add Beckford to your list of crazy British eccentrics. Okay, so... That's the introduction to the City of Brass. Next week, we'll be back with another show about the Hermetic Mysteries. And, and until then, good magic. Judy was boring. Hello. Then, Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now, Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs>